In this episode, Ryan and I had a fabulous conversation on the relationships between business cycles, banking, and retirement planning. We had fun doing so and hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. Hey, welcome to the Bank of Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. And we're excited to sit down today after two and a half hours of presentation to turn the mics on and the cameras on. I mean, Griggs, two and a half hours prep. I'm kidding. <laughs> there was an underwriting call in there, and I had a lot to write down because I listened to the episode 133 with Mr. Mike Revis. Um, so I had a lot to. So he's a, it's about an hour and a half drive. Hour. Uh, hour and uh, 10, yeah. Of course, an hour, 45 minutes to an hour for Mr. Griggs, generally an hour to hour and a half, depending on traffic for everyone else. So he always, he generally listens, you know, to really cool things on his way down. So apparently he listened to a really cool part one of a two-part series with Mike Revis. And then actually, well, you said it was 133. So mm-hmm. Mike Revis has recorded two two-part series. So we're talking about the first episode on the second two-part series. Yeah. So. And there were a lot of things that he brought up that are just in, that apply in general that I think is good material. The what I and by the way, Mike, if you're listening, um He'll listen. So I understand you code which that is the extent of my understanding of that whole topic, but uh if you wanted to, you could teach my opinion, uh be it on video or in person. I, I think he's got a he's very articulate one very. and has a uh, this is not a dig. This is a compliment, but like a, a pleasantly roundabout way of making a point by telling a story. And if given if given the time and space, which you did allow him, he made it very effectively. One way, one in particular that even you commented on during the talk was uh, his uh, his use of metaphor with the idea of an engine, like a very small engine that if you want to squeeze a bunch of horsepower out of it, you got to juice it up, and that it might blow up after the third or the fourth (laughs) race. Whereas if you've got something like he mentioned, a Corvette that comes off the line with a few hundred horsepower, you can get it up to 1000 relatively more easily and it'll last longer. And he was making a comparison between a more resilient IBC style whole life insurance policy design with respect to allocating base and PUA premium versus one that's relatively more fragile, something like a 1090. Um, I thought that was really great. I thought it was a wonderful metaphor. I don't understand engine mechanics at all. (laughs) So, but I, I, you know, I drive a Toyota Tundra 5.7 liter. So I, I tried to, well, I had my input, but he didn't listen to me when he was, New truck shopping. But you didn't wind up in a... Yeah, you told me to buy American. I said, well, I thought I might buy something dependable instead. (laughs) 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 At least you... uh you know, you were you. We went. He he went on and on about the Volkswagen shopping. I did. You know, yeah. It, yeah. So I'm glad Many it was still an improvement ago. from the Tiguan Tiguan or what you were yeah, looking Volkswagen at to Tiguan, a truck. Yeah. I mean, that was so it's improvement. You know, it's incremental, but it's you're going in the right way, young man. So it's, it's been a part of my uh, growing <clears throat> understanding of. There's this Europe. This is kind of a digression, but who cares? There's like the, I was talking about it with some industry people the other week and. 
Uh, there's like a European style of living where things are smaller. <laughs> yeah. Food portions, roadways, doorways, beds, uh, cars. Loo, you know, the water closet, the bathroom. Everything. The smaller. Yeah. And I'm over it. Oh, yeah. I'm over it. Yeah. You know, and it, like we're going to go vacation. I, my birthday's coming up in July, and family's asking me, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? And I'm like, not many places. You know, I, I want space, and it, I'm a big person as it is. Hello. So it, that, that whole small year. So with the car thing, like one of the reasons that, to do the Tundra, most interior cab space of any pickup truck in that year. Wow. So like check. Go and test drive. I was like, wow, I you can put your dog in the I back. I can fit in the truck. Yeah, my big hundred pound Great Dane. You yeah, go in the, the, back. In the back seat, not the not the bed. Uh, yeah, my dogs would go. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine lives a posh life, but anyway. but I live in the country. I don't live in the city, so there's that. But no, I agree. You know, it's like it's like you know traveling. If you're you know flying to Europe, seven, eight, nine hour flight, mm. and you're eating a meal. In your little, you know, eighteen by eighteen inch box that you're sitting in, it's like like it's, a T Rex. It's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a uh, yeah, comfort is a big deal, and the older you get, the the higher that becomes in your list of requirements. Yeah, comfort. So anyway, Mike, uh, great metaphor with engines i thought that was really lovely um and i have to say i really i almost got a little emotional uh on the way over about how many times he mentioned the seven part whole life insurance mechanic and your name too in general the name is yeah name's fine but like he was reciting uh specific examples that i gave in the lecture series two in particular one was the similar to the motor idea was the housing building or housing construction principle with the idea of a foundation you can have a thin foundation and it can be done quick and you can build on it faster and oh look how fast i got it done and oh it's so efficient right versus a foundation that's thicker maybe it's engineered takes longer more expensive but what you build on top yeah what you build on top can be bigger and more grand and it'll last and it was like he was reciting that off the top of his head and like from a, just an educator's perspective, like for somebody who listened to what you had taught or what you had to say to be able to do that, that's like, yeah, that's success. And then he did it again <laughs> with the the 1090 comparison I did in the sixth lecture and remembered the year where one of those policies was uh, pre-designed to RPU at the end of year 12. I'm like, <laughs> you know, for, for something like that to resonate to the fact that someone can just remember it. I mean, that's I'm like, <laughs> it, it literally will bring a tear to your eye when uh, people, your clients, your friends, I mean, these are people you care about, you know, when the light bulb goes off or their, their thinking is like expanded and that, you know, they get it or, but it's like, it's a beautiful thing. It's a, it really thing. is. And it, it is very emotional. Let me say it is. Yeah. All of, all of this is very emotional because I mean, we're dealing with people's money, their lives, their family, their, their future generations that we won't ever get to meet on this side. I mean, that's very, extremely powerful. Yeah. Very emotional. And for him to be so forthcoming about 
when he said that the way he originally approached this process was what's on the illustration? You know, what are the numbers on the page? And for him to say that was wrong and to go further and say that one of the reasons he decided to work with you in particular was that trust factor where he knew he wasn't going to get the manipulated little tiny motor that's all souped up. And, and to go based on that and to, to acknowledge that that was the entry point and that his learning then continued and that this series was a part of that. I mean, in what the, else do you want? In the first series, I don't know which part, one or two, he says, I'm the worst salesperson in the world. I love that so <laughs> much. Too. I was in and my I, car. I'm like, I started dying laughing. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> it's like, I love it. So, but look, you know, it sounds like maybe there should be another two-part series. Um, and I don't want to jump over this. Uh, you know, there, we you know have a lot of clients that um, I would love to have on the podcast. Um, most people, or an awful lot of people, <clears throat> you know, if they feel like, excuse me, they feel like, well, my story's not that compelling. Or what would I say? Or people won't relate to me or... You know, for whatever reason, and some of them, their their position in in business and what they do uh, in the general public, you know, they can't they come can't, on. Which yeah. I, I and I completely understand and respect that. Um, and and I'm not saying that. What I want to say is that the people that come on, um, it's for a reason. It's not just because you know their clients or just because they're. Um, practicing the infinite banking concept, they have legitimate stories, points of view, and their own experience. His experience being uh, exposed to this idea, as analytical as he is, is his and as, as an individual, it's his and it's very different from everyone else's. And I see the value. I always thought that there would be great value. It doesn't really. I don't really care what you do personally, as far as how much premium you pay, or you know how many rental properties you purchase, or you're just mm. taking over your automobile, or you know that what you do, and we all do something different. Is the thought process that you went through when you were exposed to this idea? Because this idea of becoming your banker and controlling the banking function, right, as taught by Nelson Nash. Because I I see or I think my experience has been, um, it's either immediately dismissed out of hand mm. because it's life insurance or, you know, it's going against the norm, um, or it's like immediately embraced, and then there's that in-between, mm. you know, that it's like, well, I, you know, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me or that could make sense to me, and then that whole journey of that thought process – and when people can articulate that, just if they if they have the opportunity to share that, um, I think it's invaluable. And, and two, you know, if I go back like 15, 16, 17 years ago, there was like one promoter on the radio all the time, you know, promoting the idea that you can become your own banker, not these words. She rarely mentions Nelson Nash. Everything she learned about life insurance, Nelson Nash taught her. But I assure you, Nelson Nash didn't teach her everything he knew. All right. But there was not the opportunity unless Nelson was hosting and speaking live somewhere for mm -hmm. one or two day event, speaking for 10 hours. 
we didn't have the opportunity. You know, we couldn't go online and, and pull up, you know, a gazillion YouTube videos mm-hmm. or, or audibles on, um, you know, Apple or wherever. So the idea that you, the general public, has the ability to go listen to someone and hear their experience and, and consider their thought process and is invaluable to me. Oh I, yeah, I I just it's incredible, and especially you said he's so analytical, and he mentioned the big spreadsheet and everything, and he even went through one of his points that he had wanted to stress. One of those three things was that part of the value of the spreadsheet is my understanding from what he said was uh, of tracking his own behavior. That one of the key factors contributing to the maybe the most important factor contributing to growth of cash value and policy over time is the client's own behavior like the numbers on the page are what they are but then you have to actually go and pay the premium for something like what you see in the cash value and death benefit columns to obtain and I just, you know, rather than using a spreadsheet to model a policy or, you know, how we're going to tweak this over here to change this with cash value, you know, to get a rate of return or, yeah. well, and, and I can't, and I wouldn't, uh, if he would ever share his, uh, I think we named that and he even renamed it spreadsheet his of truth or something like that. You know, Jake spreadsheet of truth. Cause Jake had some comments after the first one. And he's like, yeah. Um, I, and, and I'm telling you, as was, soon as you say you want to share it, Everybody now, oh, can I get it? <laughs> they well, we were, uh, we were. I don't want to say inundated, but we had a lot of requests. And, you know, can you give us, you know, can you put us in contact with Mike and blah blah blah? And I get that a lot. And generally, the answer is no. Yeah. You know, it's like we get it almost every guest that comes on. You know, I'll, can I talk to them? Can I talk to her? Can I talk to him? And it's generally no. You know, um, he, however. You know, he did speak with a couple of individuals that were like, uh, I think they were either programmer, programmers and or engineers, you know, and so I probably shouldn't, even, I might need to edit that out. But <laughs> I mean, he, he just wants to help people like, but let me say that his, his, uh, his spreadsheet was not just, I mean, back in the day, we used to build, I'm not even a spreadsheet guy, but, you know, I, 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 we built spreadsheets on here, how you get out of debt, and, you know, people have sold them and, you know, charged for, they still do. you know, yeah. to build uh, to build one, <clears throat> and <clears throat> his, his is not that. Um, it could do that, right? It could do so much more. It really looked like the dashboard to the shuttle, although I've never seen the dashboard of the shuttle, but if it had a dashboard, this, this would be... Um, seemingly appearing more complicated in my opinion, but it's very simple, but he shared it with me um, because I just, you know, he was talking about how he did it originally. And I'm like, would you be willing to share it? Excuse me. He said, yeah. So uh, we did a zoom. He, he controlled it and he was showing, but he, so of all the things it could do that I'm not going to go into, I'm just going to point out one thing. He's very altruistic. So a lot of what he's doing today is number one, you know, of course he don't want to be broke in retirement like all of us. And then, mm-hmm. and then being the engineer that he is a fail safe, how many, how many fail points can there be in his mm-hmm. plan and him still be okay? All right. With the, you know, the pension, the 401k, the IRAs and whatever, all of the assets that he participates in and including life insurance. And then, um, that in addition to how much how altruistic can he be in the future 
Mm. All right, so he changes inputs here and there, and all of the numbers change. Well, he he can give more of this if this happens, less if this happens. You know, he he's going to have to adjust his lifestyle if you know the the pension fails or that fails, and what if two things out of three fundamentals fail? I mean, it was uh, it, you could tell it's a labor of love too. Well, it would have to be <laughs> either that or punishment. Uh, <laughs> on, on the subject of coding, is this? If he was building an engine, it would be punishment for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. On the subject of coding, um, Robert Murphy, co-founder of the NNI, Nelson Ash Institute, and I have a, an article in the Quarterly Journal of Austrian Economics called The Inverted Yield Curve, Austrian Business Cycle Theory, and the True Money Supply. If you are a person or if you know a person who can code something like a Google Sheet, spreadsheet on Google, to pull data from a website automatically and update that sheet and some charts associated with it, I need to hear from you. Because <laughs> uh, I have a project in mind that's based on this paper. Again, it's called The Inverted Yield Curve, Austrian Business Cycle Theory, and the True Money Supply. The basic thesis is that you can look at changes in the rate of growth of the money supply, and that predicts yield curve inversion, specifically between the rate on the three-month treasury and the 10-year treasury. And that, in turn, predicts a recession with a almost virtually perfect record since World War II. Anyway, uh, and there's an organization called Shadow Stats run by a guy, I think his name is John Williams, and he calculates certain government statistics, including money supply statistics, using old and now not published money supply data. And that's fine, um, but the Austrian true money supply is better, uh, just for theoretical reasons. And so in that paper, what we did is I reconstructed the true money supply for the present and we just showed. Did you use shadowstats.com? No, I used okay. the Federal Reserve Fred, yeah, Fred data from the St. Louis right. Fed. And it's a very nice, I mean, you can see very clearly that, well, it's in the paper. But anyway, we I have a project that's based on that. And if you know somebody who can code a Google Sheet, um, I need to hear from you. So the get in touch form on the website, griggscapitalstrategies.com. If you have my email, great. Um, but please, just on the subject of coding generally, that is something that I've been meaning to do and say that I haven't. Well, I'm, I'm glad that <clears throat> you brought up John Williams, <laughs> shadowstatistics.com, I believe is what it is. And, you know, he has a subscription. You can, he has a lot of work that is freely uh, available if you properly, you know, cite his work, um, which – is a big missing thing in the infinite bank. attribution. What a concept, but, huh? But I used to when I was back in the day when I was doing retirement seminars, I would I would use his stats all the time um, and give him proper credit because and here's my layman's terms uh, in in, in uh, interpretation of my understanding of you know his work. So he was a consultant to Fortune 500 companies back in the 80s, mm. right? And in, uh, in uh, helping them forecast. Um, economics and and uh his forecasting was very accurate so he was very highly paid consultant in the fortune 500 world and then his forecasting stopped working and he said oh my gosh what happened well he was using the uh bureau of labor statistics you know uh, government numbers change their data <laughs> yeah yeah no they changed the way they uh they changed it i think it was like in 1984 
ish, somewhere around there, they changed the uh, formularies and the formulas in which they used to project inflation. Mm. Right. And so when he, and so he, he's like, okay, my forecast isn't working. I'm a highly paid consultant because I'm deadly accurate, pardon the pun. Right. So he goes and figures out what happened. So he figures out what they did and what they changed and how they changed. So then he started keeping track of that. Right. Yeah. And then now his forecasting became more accurate because he's uh, correcting jaded numbers. He's presenting the true rate of inflation and, and inflation. And then here's what the you know Bureau of Labor Statistics is quoting. They changed again in the 90s. So now my understanding, he used to, and I'm pretty sure he still does. You can you can um, determine the the difference in the way he calculates inflation. He does it according to the way they did it in the 80s, and then the way they did it in the 90s. And you know, you just talking about coding, just change the inputs, right? And the outcome will change. Mm -hmm. Manipulate call the inputs. Call it the same thing. Yeah. 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 But then. Two, now he, he gets quite a bit of disparagement, like, oh, well, you know, he's all esoteric and, you know, you can't rely on those numbers. And, and like, it's an implied accusation that you can rely on the federal government's numbers. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but I'm glad you brought that up. Shadowstatistics.com. Shadowstats. Shadowstats.com. Okay. Shadowstats.com. John Williams. So. Yeah. And the newsletter is not. No promotion, by the way. There's not like a revenue. It's cheap. It's like 150, 180 bucks a year. Pretty good. <clears throat> yeah, very good. Uh, anyway, back to uh, to Mike and some of the things that he was talking about. You know, one of the in, in sort of the second half. Again, this is episode 133. It was released on June 24 of 2022. But one of the uh, points of emphasis later on in the interview was on sort of the suspect performance in these tax qualified plans and in the stock market more generally. He was giving some statistics from various studies, I don't know exactly where, about, you know, if you you, you have to you have to carefully count what particular companies are contributing to say the S&P 500 in order to to arrive at these allegedly favorable average annual rates of return. And all of that's well and good. Like I, I'm, yep, I'm perfectly. And then you brought up the point too that you know the way down happens a lot quicker and is a lot more severe oh, yeah. than the gains back up. And that's true, right? If you go from you know a fifty percent increase on a hundred dollars is up to one hundred and fifty, but a fifty percent decrease on one hundred and fifty is down to seventy five. Well, that's a fifty point move versus a seventy five point move, but with the same percentage, just in opposite directions. And so the the that matters, right? Like it absolutely a, a, matters. A down year isn't just a mirror image of an up year. It's worse than that, right? Because it's a percentage of a larger number. That's yeah. And so the, all of that's masquerade. If, if, if you, you raise the point and all those numbers are averages. Absolutely. And that's exactly the case. If we average the numbers out, well, averaging just considers the relative magnitude of the numbers. Right, not the underlying effect of taking percentages at various points in time, the and so actual. yeah, the actual yeah, the volume versus the rate. The so averaging masks the true effect. Right, this is why, like my grandmother, for instance, it took her from 08, uh, from two thousand eight, ten years to get back to where the portfolio was in 08. Yeah, 
And my grandmother was a smart woman, she was a business owner, and had, yeah, and probably did everything the financial you know community told her to do. But don't have you had a conversation with, with your grandmother on what happened between you know two thousand and oh eight? No. Okay. Well, ask her about that because you know the market corrects in, in along about ninety nine and two thousand. And it and it's whatever the portfolio value was at the peak, mm-hmm. right? It gets shredded to two thousand and three. In two thousand and three, you know the portfolios recover. It may, and these and these people generally are contributing during all of this. So right. when your grandmother took from 08 to twenty eighteen, she was probably making contributions along the way. Yeah. All right. And if you, I'm just saying, if you back that up between 2000 and, and 2008, and ask her what the portfolio value was in 2000 when it peaked out, corrected down to 2003, then anybody and everybody, if you're in the market, you're going to make money from 2003 forward. Because if you look at this 22 year timeline, take your contributions out of the uh-huh. equation, the actual internal rate of return that you've actually enjoyed uh will be very disappointing typically yeah. and now and there's always the outlier you know there there are funds that uh you know last year that that you know performed 50 percent 48 percent you know so there's always that you know uh you know 96 percent of the money managers can't outperform their benchmark mm-hmm. who they're who they're comparing themselves to, their portfolio management, their 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 ETF portfolio or their mutual fund. They all have a benchmark. You know, you compare us to the Russell, you know, 2000 or the S&P 500 or the S&P 400 or whatever it is, their benchmark. 96% of them cannot perform to the benchmark. Right? So that means there's 4% to get lucky. Mm-hmm. And maybe those 50% return, you know, I don't want to mention the names, but or have a special relationship with maybe oh, an advisor to the oh, Fed. Oh, now something. you're bringing in. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Huh. And and that's where this t- that one of the points I wanted to make on this is that and there's two of them, but w- one in particular. That's where a lot of this goes. Is what's the historical performance, and then we talk about the ability or the historical performance of a particular advisor. Never mind the fact that most advi- most fund managers don't last five years in the industry, and of course they don't, right? Because eventually they run into a recession. They'll look bad. Like an economist we heard from recently who had to stay in the business for longer. <laughs> Had to and from the stage. I won't name names. From the stage, an economist, someone who's paid money, receives an income as an economist, tells a room of advisors that he couldn't retire in 08. He because, was scheduled to retire in 08. Yeah, but couldn't because of his reputation would be shattered, right? Because so he had to stay in a little bit longer to let that. It's like. I mean, I was almost in shock that he won't even admit that. But yeah, these are the economists or these are the experts. Um, but we, we, that's where it always goes, right? How good is the advisor? And I think even and even in more advanced understanding of that is how well connected is the fund manager or the advisor oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to the to Washington D.C. the Beltway, the Federal Reserve Board, that kind of thing. That's a whole other question. But more fundamental than all of that, and I wanted to. I've said this before, but I want to nail it freaking down so that it's like it, anytime this idea of an average rate of return comes up, I want this to pop into your head immediately it is not a possibility that the market will correct or that there will be a a significant drop or a recession in the stock market it is an eventuality okay it will 
happen. It's just a matter of when. And if you live long enough, it will happen more than once. And one thing that Mike raised, he's like, well, how do I know if, you know, that if I time my retirement correctly, is it just before a major crash? Is it during? Is it just after? Like he mentioned people here in 2022. Gosh, what if I retired in January and then my 401k gets shredded? The stuff I'm supposed to live on, I got to reenter the workforce. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm, that's a problem. And but I want to give you the reason for it. And the reason is fractional reserve banking. There is a book called, and this is why whenever I talk with advisors and like a mentoring capacity, I always say, I really wish we, as in general, as an industry, knew more about Austrian economics and specifically Austrian business cycle theory. And this is, people think that's like esoteric because that's just my background. And it's like, maybe that's true, but it's also, there's also legitimate stuff here. There's a book. This is the, the best, shortest, most concise, most precise, most accurate explanation of what economists mean by the Austrian theory of the business cycle comes in part one of a book called America's Great Depression by Murray Rothbard, M-U-R-R-A-Y, Rothbard, just like it sounds. There's a PDF of it for free on Mises, M-I-S-E-S dot org. Okay, part one, which is called The Positive Theory of the Trade Cycle, is about 34 to 36 pages. I forget exactly how many. A very concise explanation of why it is the case that the stock market, in particular, the the price of shares traded in the stock market must be affected because of the way the banking system Ooh. is structured. And here's a quote from page 13 of that book. It's in the section called The Explanation, Boom and Depression. Just very briefly, he says, what specifically are the essential features of the depression recovery phase? And a bit later, he says, not only prices of particular, it's not only that prices of particular machines must fall, but also the prices of whole aggregates of capital, for example, stock market and real estate values, right? It, that, that is a feature, the, 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 the evisceration, the crushing of the prices of shares of stock to these legal entities, which are just bundles of property rights to actual stuff, machines, factors of production, right? It's the factors of production that in the, in the uh, bust part of the cycle, when the rate of new money production decreases, when that yield curve inversion happens, when liquidity dries up, that's what the CNBC people who don't know anything about economics say, you know, the, the liquidity, is, the Fed is sucking liquidity. There's, there's not a liquidity. You can't go get a liquidity off the shelf. It's not a thing. It's a feature of something else, but no, never mind. The, when, when the, this is why I hang out with him. When the rate of new money production <laughs> is decreasing and money uh, capital, loans, credit becomes relatively more expensive compared to what it was prices of certain things like factors of production machines buildings the stuff you use to make other stuff that's what's most affected why because those are durable production goods durable production goods throw off a service for a long time right that's something you can use over and over and over again the, and that means that there's a stream of real output into the future from those things. Consequently, the price of those things are higher. Well, for the value is greater because there's a, a relatively uh, longer stream of output coming from that thing compared to something you consume right away and it's gone, right? And so because the value is higher, the price is higher. 
And because the price is higher, what do you use to buy it? Oh, maybe credit? Okay, well, if you're using credit to buy something that's relatively durable of higher value and therefore of higher price, what's one of your main costs? I don't know, interest? Okay, well, if interest is affected, why? Because of the change in the supply of money, thanks to the Fed and the commercial banking system. If, if, if the price suddenly goes up, well, now one of your major costs suddenly goes up and it's decided by a committee. So there wasn't like a market signal that you could predict to you know do this in the first place. So the price suddenly goes up. Well, then now it's more expensive to buy those things of durable use of uh, those production goods. And so less of it will be bought. And so the, this, this reduces the demand for those things, which means the price must fall. Well, if the price must fall, then the value of the entity owning them must fall. Well, what are the little pieces of paper that constitute your share of ownership in that company called? They're called stocks. And what's in the tax qualified retirement plan or in the portfolio more broadly? Shares of stocks. And so this is what happens. It, it, the so long, I put it this way to clients. So long as we operate on a fractional reserve banking system, so long as counterfeiting is legalized at the commercial banking level and cartelized by the Fed, so long as that's the case, these recessions and depressions, these major <coughs> acute corrections in the prices of these companies will happen. It will happen. It's not if, it's when. And so if that's your plan, Right, all of that, that criticism is underneath the idea that some managers are better than others or historically the performance is such and such. Yeah, 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 all that's true. I accept all of that. The problem is it's worse than that. It's that the, the, the correction is built into the system and then you can get uh, maybe speculative and be like, well, maybe that's done by design. Hmm, maybe it is. But regardless of whether it is or not, that's the fact of the matter. Just be a student of history. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank you for letting me. Yeah, no, no. That's go very good because it's it's multiple. It's not just one baked in. It's multiple. It's going to reoccur. Period. Yeah. And then and then you, the all American family, we are forced into the position of being a market timer. Period. Right. Period. And so, oh, and then you know, at retirement, like Mike brought up, and you're, you know, referencing, it's like. How would a correction affect me at my retirement? Right before, during, right after I retired? It's devastating if you're dependent if upon you're things dependent. that you oh you there's no way can you control the value of stocks. There's uh, and if you, uh, I think most of my friends and family and regular listeners whom I greatly love, I greatly love and appreciate. Thank you. Um, there is not a market on the face of this planet that is not manipulated. It's a broad statement, very confident to uh, talk about research. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, 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 I'll have this downloaded, and and I'm probably gonna read that before I listen to your series. I so, know, <laughs> but uh, and, and two, circumvent I, the globe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to jump over Mises too. They have a tremendous amount of of uh, resources and at no cost. Yeah, I mean at no cost. So, who wants to be a market timer? Not me and not you. Well, I mean, I want to enjoy life. I want to. I want to work. I want to. I want to provide a service, provide a benefit. I want to be paid for that. I want I want my people, the consumer, the clients, especially my clients, the general. I mean, I want things to be 
good. You know, I mean, I'm an optimist, but you can't not uh, recognize this. You can't, you cannot skip over this risk that you can't control, dependent upon a market that you can't control. Oh, that is manipulated. And and I'm not even a doomsday guy. I mean, I'm 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 an eternal optimist, and so I'm very optimistic, and I'm very uh, I want to be very encouraging. You must do something. You must care enough to do something. And what is that? Capital formation. You need to build capital. You, me, all of us, every family, every business. You know, most people. Go Church. out of business. Most businesses go out of business because they're undercapitalized. You can't change the Fed. I can't change the Fed. Maybe with more works like this being published, it can help us understand uh, the manipulation and the severity of the mani- manipulation. But all of this information should be used in a positive way for you to take action. So, yes, the short answer to me, and I'm biased, no question, but you can't you can't pay enough life insurance premium fast enough. I'm saying that generally. I'm not giving anyone individual advice. I'm not telling you to go do anything without you speaking to a competent advisor, professional, tax professional, whomever they are in your life. These ideas need to be vetted. And and once they're vetted, if they're embraced, you need to get to it because capital that you own and control is the solution. Yeah. Yeah, and underneath all of that, while all that is happening, the bankers are making it because all this increase in the supply of money eventually, in fits and starts, causes the price of everything else to rise. Right, homes, cars, other things, durable consumption goods mainly, but just food and energy too, basic things. Okay, and typically the last thing to increase is how much you get paid, right? <laughs> and so your purchasing power, the, your, literally speaking, your, your relative ability over time to purchase more is diminishing on a, on, on a relative basis. So who steps in to help you buy the same things you were buying? Well, of course, the banking system. And so then we have the, the problem was created, right? Regularly rising prices, uh, a slaughterhouse for a stock market, and <laughs> and, and so uh, and so here come the bankers to help you with the problem that they've created, in the form of what I call what we call conventional debt, right? Whatever it might be, and then what Nelson pointed out so valuably is just the tremendous volume of debt. People on my Facebook, I guess I have a lot of mortgage loan officers, friends on my Facebook. Uh, I and mean, they're nice people, but um, you know, there, there's always a reason to buy a home, right? Either rates are higher, so demand up. for homes is lower, so prices fall, so down payments are lower, so you should buy, or rates are lower, so payments are lower, so you should buy. <laughs> like it's uh, no matter what you do, <laughs> you rates are going buy. up, so you should buy now. I was yeah. talking to a young man yesterday, you know, in, in passing, great young guy, hard worker, family man. Uh, they're looking to purchase another home. So they get a rate lock, you know, several months ago that's already expired. And their rate lock originally, because the market, like most places in, in the country, is like way overpriced. Uh, I think their rate lock, he said, was about four originally. And then their second rate lock uh, was at four, 4.9. 
And then by the time now their next rate lock, if they if they go through the underwriting again, you know, mortgages uh, companies were, in his case, one mortgage company bought another mortgage company. So there's a couple of adjustments in there. Um, but now it's at six point one. Wow, six point one, right? And and that absolutely seems high when whenever you know you could have locked one in a couple of years ago at two. Um, but then you know if you go further back, six is not you know crazy. I'm not saying it's a good thing and you should all go get a mortgage at six. I'm not saying that, but um, you know generally people your age and younger, they've never experienced that. Right. And it's in an environment where the overall price of the home is just, the absolute level is just plain higher. Inflated. Yeah. And if I went and did this. If you just go pull up a free uh, mortgage amortization chart calculator and plug in whatever data you want. I did like 400000 since that's like the median price of a home nowadays, OMG. Uh, 20% down, whatever the standard um property tax and insurance stuff is and and then calculate that it'll show you how much of your total payments over a 30 or 15 year period go to principal versus interest and i don't care what apr you choose the number is greater than 40 percent oh yeah okay so it's like is is it apr higher does that mean more expensive it's like okay yeah sure but even the baseline was hyper expensive right it's like what are we quibbling about here Uh, mortgages are horrendous from a, a, a volume perspective. Now, does that mean you shouldn't have a mortgage? Well, not necessarily. There's a whole other discussion to be had there. But the where I was going with that earlier is, okay, so, and just like you said, the 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 solution is to build capital. Well, where's this capital coming from? Well, like Nelson pointed out over um, in, on page, especially page 53 of Becoming Your Own Banker, and what IBC is, is the process of taking the earnings you would have generated for the banking system because they're providing you with all this cheap and convenient money to overcome the problem of rising price inflation. Take the money that you would have earned for them and put it into an asset that you own and control instead. Right? It's like the, the solution to the problem is to, like, let me say this, the source of this in, in Mike and Mike Revis's case, the source of that offsetting future passive cash flow that you've got to get from somewhere because the 401k ain't going to provide it is the profit you would have generated for the banking system otherwise. Right? And how do we get that back? Well, you've got to establish a, a banking entity, a personal monetary system for yourself. And that's what IBC teaches. And that's what whole life is it's a it's an environment for you to do that to collect the profit the dividend that would have come from or that would have went to the banker otherwise nelson again page 53 becoming your own banker on the left hand column frequently talks about these illustrations he, he references line 36 of each illustration and he notes that as his logger nephew in North Carolina finances more vehicles, meaning as he pays more premium, right? It's not policy loans that cause cash value to rise. It's the payment of more premium. But as the individual pays more premium, the cash value at age 65 increases. And the 
like he says uh one two third pair third full paragraph down by adding uh, a second truck in illustration three nelson writes quote he the logger has picked up an additional four hundred and seventy one thousand three hundred twenty four dollars at age 65 in cash value by shopping at home for his truck financing right that that relative increase in cash value because of the higher premium payment that number is conceptually logically the amount that the banker would have made had associates finance in this case had the logger financed conventionally okay so the and that cash value that relatively higher cash value that is the source of the relatively greater passive cash flow that the logger enjoys late in life so there's a, a legitimate literal sense in which the increase in the cash value that comes from higher premium payment because you're reducing your dependence on conventional banking, that is that profit that the banker otherwise would have enjoyed for himself. That money is the source of that passive cash flow that you can enjoy in retirement that the 401k wouldn't have given you is designed not to give you because it's built on a fractional reserve banking system. Right, so all of this, the point, my point is that all of this fits together, right? The the uh, prominence of the conventional banking system is is such is at such a magnitude because of the price inflation especially in durable goods but also in other things and, and so we be, the, the relative dependence the growing dependence we have on debt on conventional debt is because of the price inflation and where's the price inflation come from from the fractional reserve banking system from the federal reserve and from commercial banks Right? And that that same money creation process is also at the simil at the simultaneously is also what causes the business cycle. It's also what introduces volatility in that stock portfolio. So it's it's quite perverse, right? And it's like the Nelson mentions mentions the Matthew principle: to those who have more shall be given; to those who do not have even what they have, shall, even what they do not have, will be taken away. Like if you're dependent upon the banking system for financing the acquisition of things that you're going to buy anyway and you're dependent upon the stock market for passive cash flow late in life you're even worse off right you're undercapitalized during your working lifetime and there's nothing there for you in the future but if you opt out of that system by adopting IBC and take control of the banking function you retain the money that would have been lost to the banking system and even more Matthew principle even more you provide for yourself, your family, and your future family late in life, right? And that's why it's a paradigm shift, right? It's like seeing the world differently. It's not just team. We're not buying. It. Look at an illustration. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> he's talking about equipment finance in the illustrations. That's what he's referring to. And if you look at illustration number one, you know, and these are beautifully said, right? <clears throat> but the gentleman. Uh, had to come up with initial premium before the banking function was ever engaged, right? Before he ever engaged in financing his his uh, logging business and the trucks. Okay, and I don't want to jump over this. That um, where did that capital come from? <clears throat> you know, Nelson. Uh, people would say, ask Nelson. Um, well, where did he get the forty thousand dollars in premium for the first four years? And, you know, when I, I mean, I'm going back 16, 17 years, early on when Nelson did a presentation, you know, his seminar, and it was a 10-hour seminar, 
the six and a half hour that you can purchase and you should purchase and watch has been, there's been a lot of the breaks have been cut out, you know, and then some, some other stories that were incredibly funny have been taken out. Um, but he would often get that question. Where did the guy come up with $40,000? And Nelson would say, well, if you ask me that question, I'm going to ask you a question and that's biblical. Right. And he was referring to when the Pharisees were asking Jesus Christ, by what power he cast out demons. Um, and so, and I'm not going to answer the question here because Nelson would never answer the question because the person would say, oh, well, I don't want to ask you a question then if you're going to ask me a question. <laughs> okay. But I don't want to jump over this. Um, that 40 grand was capital that that young man acquired by trading his time, his intellect, his energy, his experience, his service, you know, he created that capital, right, by providing service, right? And so this this money that we're earning, that we're all working for, comes at a price, and it's a price that we pay from time away from our family, you know, the, uh, the time that we spent educating ourselves and learning and then practicing whatever skill that we're practicing and that get, accumulating that experience um, to... to to, the premium must be paid, right? It's all conversation until the check is written and a premium is paid. And how you get the premium dollars, you know, Nelson references, he had to get honest with himself. He had to go uh, sit in the corner and get honest with his personal spending pattern when he was personally funding uh, his 1959 state farm policy that is, is in there that's referenced. And we all have to do that. Where are we putting our dollars? Where, where are we sending money? And then the magnitude that Ryan eloquently eloquently went through um, is a result of the banking function. So the man capitalized. We all have to capitalize our system, right? The uh, product of a bank is money. So we've got to create a an entity by putting money into it. And then the use of that money solving for your banking function is exactly what created the difference. And Nelson would also say, comparing the illustration number one in equipment financing that had no loans, no loan repayments, two, he's financing a truck, three, he's financing two trucks, four, and then five, and then fifth illustration. If you compare the fifth illustration, end of, he kills them all at age 85, the, the logger. <clears throat> if you look at, the values in illustration number five, the ultimate death benefit, the up, the the uh, capital that he took out above what he paid in net cumulative outlay. Yep, age eighty five. Illustration five, three million three hundred twenty eight thousand eight sixteen. Right, and then what was the death? But, but let's let's read the death benefit, the ultimate cash value, and then the dividend too. There at age sixty five, I believe. At age sixty five, the death benefit is five million. No, the dividend. The, at age 65, the dividend is 168725 Okay, and then just the end of year, the end of his life values, the death benefit and the capital that he had taken out above what he put in. Age 85, the death benefit is 5286516 And the cumulative net outlay, how much he took out over and above what he paid in, is 3328816 And then you compare those very same numbers with... Illustration number one, no financing occurred. No self-financing. He was still financing his trucks with associates financing. 
Illustration number one, age 65 dividend, is 71942 Age 85, death benefit, $2,407,736. Cumulative net outlay, age 85, uh, it's negative, but 1588000 That difference, those differences... At, at age 85 mm-hmm. are exactly the profits of the banking system, including the dividends mm. that are paid to the owners of the bank. That's exactly the difference that you just went through. Yes. That accrues to yep. the lenders and the owners of the bank. And, you, and you know, I said it and I'm going to say it again. Your bank pays dividends. They just don't pay them to you because you don't own the bank. Yeah. Right. So that is the banking function. None of that could have happened or would have happened unless that man capitalized the policy to begin with. To have capital, therefore, to use. And none of that has to do with what's happening in the stock market. Nothing. And look, and and Nelson, look, you, 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 every one of you should own Nelson's six-and-a-half-hour presentation. You can go to this store, bankingwithlife.com, on our store. You can go to Nelson Nash, the Nelson Nash Institute, infinitebanking.org, and go to their store. I mean, if you buy that 10-and-a-half-hour series on my website – you can call my office. You'll get a discount code. It's fulfilled by David. You're talking. You're that. talking about the IBC Foundation series, which is different from the seminar. No, I'm talking about Nelson's six and a half hour series mm-hmm. of his of him presenting live. Yeah, there's a twenty percent discount. B Y O B S E M two zero for twenty percent off. Oh, you're throwing them out there, or B W L twenty for twenty percent off. Yeah, yeah. But you should own. My point here is, you should own them. And you should watch it more than once, right? Um, <clears throat> well, I was going to make another point that something else he said, Nelson Sorry. used to say all the time. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to capitalize the system and then use it. You know, and, and it really becomes natural. This, this man was a logger. He was buying a new truck, logging truck. Every four years, he was already financing it. Nelson didn't change the interest rates were different, right? Uh, uh, um, that particular company had an 8% loan rate, and there was a lot of mechanics that Nelson did, but he kept it equal, right? He paid the same cash flow and the same price. He financed the same amount for the trucks, and he paid the same required you know, monthly uh, payment for the truck. He kept things equal. Yeah. And now, it, and I don't want to go on and on here, but that – does not have to be complicated. Equipment financing does not have to be complicated. If you look at each illustration from one through five, there's about a $500,000 increase in cash value. I'm rounding, right? Um, and, and don't let an agent confuse you with some esoteric interpretation <laughs> of the equipment financing because it does not have to be, it does not have to be, this does not have to be made better than it is. Yeah. Okay. I want to point out a few things too, because I always even Mike even mentioned this too. You know, earlier on, he was you know wondering, and I get questions like this. Well, what do I? Use? I got started a month ago. I built some cash value. I paid my full premium. What do I use my policy for? Yeah. Uh, okay, a couple things. One, 
In equipment financing, Nelson doesn't assume that the individual finances the purchase of a tractor until four years after he started the policy. So there is no use of the policy in the first four years. Now, do you have to do it that way? No. Can you do it differently? Yes. You made the point to me early on, I remember it very clearly, that the individual could have financed his tractor, I'm sorry, his first truck in year two because there's sufficient cash value. He could have started earlier, but he didn't. Nelson assumed he did it later. What that means is just pay a premium. You don't have to go out and turn around and, you know, squeeze every little drop out of everything right away tomorrow. We're so conditioned to, it's like a constant stress position, like constant like flight or flight. Like I've got to do something, I gotta act, I gotta act quick. And we're so conditioned that it's still not sunk in yet that in the IB, in IBC land, you don't have to do it that way, right? You can take your time, continue doing what you're doing. And that leads me to the next point, which is that, well, eventually once he did use his policy, what did he use it for? Right? Did I have to go out and find some real estate and you know get into cryptocurrency and you know get a HELOC? Nope. Nope. The logger just did what he was already doing anyway. So mundane. I know it's boring. It's boring. not sexy. Oh it's not like I'm oh, half asleep now. <laughs> and I'm like, it's not all big and glamorous. It's just so simple. The results that James just points out, the generation of all that surplus cash value, right? That three point uh, I'm sorry, that well, in the total cash value, the 4,518,391 in total cash value, age 85, illustration five, versus total cash value, age 85, illustration one, where nothing is financed is 2,057,446. 4,518,000 versus 2,057,000. Another $2.5 million, more than 100% increase in relative to the situation of no financing. How come? Why? All because he went and financed the things that he was going to finance anyway. Nothing special. You know, N Nelson in uh, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth has these wonderful stories where he talks about how, you know, a land deal came around or his pilot friend needed money. And, you know, he went and financed that and then went and did it again when the pilot realized that he, his need for capital was greater than he thought it was. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. And... <laughs> And it made all, and then turned around 14 years later and sold it for some umpteen thousand percent profit. Like all of that broke it up is extra. <laughs> it's all extra. And there's nowhere to put all that in a life insurance illustration. Nowhere, nowhere. And all we're talking about is late stage cash value. Yeah. Nothing about the, all the, the benefits, you know, illustration five cash value when the guy's 50 years old, 21 years in is 705 grand. Could a logger, a business person with seven, with almost three quarter of a million dollars go, I don't know, buy a piece of property, start a second branch of his business, start down in South Carolina? I don't know. Right. And that's why my, when people say, you know, they want to know, like, what do I use the policy for? It's like, you can't expect me to know that. Like, first of all, you don't have to do anything glamorous. Right, just start. Just be your own banker. Just finance the things yourself that you were going to do otherwise. You don't have to do it tomorrow. You don't have to do it next month. You don't have to do it next year. You do it five years from now and just establish a habit. It's a process, right? But that's what create. That's what equip. One of the two of the these key lessons in equipment financing is that this is kind of mundane. It's nothing glamorous. It doesn't need to be. You said earlier and have said before. 
advisors out there want to make IBC better than it is. You know, we've got to generate the mailbox money and got to get out of client interaction and client production because we need to go specialize in building or re- renovating houses and do Airbnb for that passive cash flow mailbox money. I'm, I'm mining crypto. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, uh, Nelson uh, made a point. He, he writes about this. He, he speaks about it. He spoke about it. It's like the logging, the logger was very profitable. He had a profitable business and demonstrated here clearly the banking business financing his logging business was more profitable than his business on his portion of financing. Think that through. Right? The the banking banking is banking will be, you know, the big the I've said it and I'll say it again. Banking is the oldest profession in the world. I know you can debate me. No, we know the other older profession. Somebody financed that activity. Banking. Yeah. Banking is, it's going to happen. Um, and you should control the banking function as it relates to you. That's as simple as that. Um, and then, you know, it all does tie together. And I'm just going to add one more component that needs to be tied. When we have railed previously on structure, on improper structure, um, it's, it's the reason is because if, like you had in your series, you referenced a foundation, to go into the banking business, you have to have an entity, and the man financed, and you will finance your whole lifetime, whether it's passive income. You know, in your later state, you are going to finance. So do you want a fragile foundation? Do you want a policy that is built in fragility that is just a matter of time in the unknown future of when it's not going to serve you well, when you're forced to reduce the premium, when it becomes a mech? I mean, these things matter, although you may not see them on an illustration today. Um, structure is important. If you're going to finance if you, you finance nothing but passive income in retirement all right i know i don't like using retirement either but when i say that word you know exactly what i'm talking about okay i notice more and more that when people say it they don't mean the idea of like just withdrawing from work yeah right. they're like well i'm going to travel more or i'm going to i'm going to shift into another aspect of the business yeah. or i'm going to train or coach more it's like okay well then you're not really retiring are you right you're just not doing something you weren't doing yesterday you're doing it differently but, right yeah. or something yeah exactly i'm just saying you want a policy a series of policies that will serve you well your whole lifetime and then that's true and it is then structure matters yeah and the fact is that modified the modified endowment contract regime exists there's price fixing in life insurance like you said earlier there's all markets are manipulated. It includes the market for insurance, right? The, the, and the human life valuation considerations, the idea that there's a maximum death benefit because someone in an office in some country or some state who doesn't know you, doesn't like you, is going to put a number on what your life's worth. Like that whole idea. I had this you don't, very conversation three times this week. Really? <laughs> I mean, we should, I should record them and release it as a podcast. I Same mean, level. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that I mean that idea is dumb. Like that 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 alone is price fixing. Add to it yeah. the additional layer of price fixing, which is the regulation between cash value and death benefit, and the consequence being a negative tax problem. Like that all exists, and so we've got a function in that environment 
And so it absolutely does become a question is, to what degree do you want to limit your capacity to contribute to your capital growth over the course of your lifetime? If the answer is anything less than maximum, then go do the mangled thing. Go do the 1090, go do the thin foundation, go do the little bitty 100 horsepower, uh, you know, crotch rocket engine. Go go do that. Yeah. But to the extent you want to maximize your capacity to maximally con- uh, accumulate capital over your lifetime, to maximally cut out the banker and magnify how much income, how much passive, not income, income is taxable, maximize how much cash flow you can enjoy late in life. Well, then you should want a proper foundation. You should want an engine that comes off the line with three to 400 horsepower power. You should want an insurance policy with sufficient base. And by the way, we're an hour into this. I probably can't get all into it, but post 7702, and you were the one that told me this originally, and I've come to understand it more and more, is that the structure of these policies post 7702 should be even greater to the base premium. Yes. Um, And then the last thing I'll say here is that- I can dig dive deep into that. Maybe we will some. It's it's really true though. that 40000 per year in equipment financing and initial outlay, where's that come from? Who knows? But at the end of the day, whatever it is, it comes from defeating Parkinson's law. It comes from spending less than you make. That's it. Like, that's it. That's how you generate initial capital. And then it's a question of, okay, how best do we allocate? How best do we secure, preserve, grow, and in the future deploy that capital, right? The problem with the Ramsey types and the cash only types and the the problem, I think one of the reasons that more people don't save at higher rates is because there is not a compelling vision for what to do with that savings, it's okay, well, I can save a bunch so I can buy something that's more expensive in the future, but when I do, down goes that cash balance, got to spend the money, and here we go, starting over at zero or closer to it than we were, right? There's not a compelling vision for how to use the capital while also preserving its level and future growth, and that's what IBC offers. So saving, literally speaking, withholding from, abstaining from consumption, spending less than you make is step one, Great, wonderful, but then it's a question of, okay, how do we systematize, secure, protect, and then grow and in the future deploy that same capital in a manner that serves you and your family and your family's family that you've yet to meet, probably won't ever meet, rather than contributing to the viability of these parasites known as conventional bankers. Don't leave out the government. There were parasites too. Yeah, well, that's all other, part of Part of the... Uh, I just didn't want you not to associate, the, you know. <laughs> part, of, part of the uh, element of securing and protecting and growing the capital is doing so in an environment free of taxation. Hmm. Well, what rises each year without, pen, without tax penalties so long as the policy is a non-MEC? Well, it's cash value. Right? Cash values rise all the time untaxed. And every other asset class, in order to secure some special tax treatment on the regular gain, you got to play a game. There's got to be some sort of uh, rollover, 1031, 1032, whatever it is. 1031. The rules of which can always change. You know, I had, I had a client uh, who was like, man, I wish I could get out of this 401k. I think I texted you about it. And I'm like, well, did just, I respond? Uh, I think okay. so. Yeah. I was like, well, just pull the money out. You know, I'm like, I didn't tell him that. It wasn't an advice. I'm not a licensed investment person, but I'm like, you know, you have the op, you just take it out. And it's like, well, there's, 
And of course, there's taxes and penalty and surrender charge. He's like, no, no, I'm not even vested. Oh, who decided that? Was it the employer when the summary plan was put in place? This is the other thing. People don't realize that those tax qualified plans are put in place for the benefit of the uh, alleged benefit of the business owner, the employer, not you. And the uh, government. It's a tax and the government. It, it's a tax game creating a liability in the future disguised as an overall net benefit to the employer primarily. Um, yeah. Disguised as a benefit to the employee. Yeah. <laughs> now you got to opt out, right? It's all a lie. The basic fundamental element of this, and this is not <laughs> investment advice, this is not, you know, consult your licensed government person. Um, <laughs> it's all a lie. That whole scheme uh. is a lie. Nelson used to say, stack of lies. We live in a world of lies. And the fish are the last to notice the water. Yep. And we're immersed in it, and it's hard to see. Yeah, I got I to gotta go back. I can't help myself. You know, where did the guy come up with the 40 grand in premium? I don't know. Probably the, what, you tell me, how did he come up with the down payment of the Peterbilts? Right. Where did that money come from? Same place. Right. Why didn't they ask about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They never did. That would be the question that he would ask. You know, tell me where. And what's funny thing. is he already told you. Like he, he already went through Parkinson's Law <laughs> earlier in the book. It's kind of comical, you know. Uh, that's why and, one reading won't get it done. Yeah, and, and they're one always, listening won't get it. Done. They're always frustrated when they ask, like, "Wow, what the money come from?" It's like you just read it a few pages ago. Uh, he was such a gentleman. I, I strive to be the character that of character of the level of character that he was. I'm like, hey, I have a cli- I fall short. Speaking of that, I have a client who his name's Justin. Speaking of AV Ninja, uh, but Justin, I, it goes back to it's got <laughs> the the etymology of that word it has to be justice. Anyway. I'm willing to believe that. But Justin, great client, multiple policies, high premium, high percentage of income to premium, fully gets it. Will text me every now and then about an experience, or you know, he's watched since David Stearns put the seminar online for free. He's watched it like four times and read the book at least ten times, and it really sunk in. He's like, he really cares about it, and he has friends who they're the proprietors of this mobile home park, mm-hmm. and everything's cash. Mm-hmm. He's like, they're flush with cash. Yeah. And so they're stocking up capital, and then something will come around. They'll liquidate the capital, and it's just killing him. You know, yeah. <laughs> he's like, if only you knew. And he's getting so frustrated. Uh, and he said, he's like, gosh, I can't imagine Nelson, who like must have experienced this over and yeah. over and over and over again. I'm like, yeah, man, that's called grace. No, he was full of grace. Yeah. Unbelievable. Whenever you can get people like Gary North, uh, who's passed on, uh, <laughs> when Nelson could give a man like that grace, I'm like, man, man. Yeah. Speaking of mobile homes, parks and I had a lot of clients that do mobile home parks, own mobile home parks, buy them, develop them, sell them, buy them, develop them, sell them, buy them, keep them. Um, whenever, and that's just a business, right? I mean, you can have a trucking business, you know, an air conditioning company, a plumbing company can have 15, 20, 25 trucks. You know what it costs to equip one of those service trucks? A lot. And I'm not going to throw prices out because I would be too low. I'd be stuck 20 years ago pricing. Yeah. You know, I'd throw out a number like, oh, 30, 40, 50 grand. No, it's probably 70, 80, 90 grand, right? And and look at the amount of cash flow in, in any business. We're just putting scale on, you know, adding zeros to other businesses. It's unbelievable. And it's like, well, how do I capture that? 
Hmm. You start by capitalizing a properly structured policy or series of policies. Just that's where you start. Right. And then just like the equipment financing, one truck at a time after an appropriate Mm. period of capital accumulation, capital formation and knowledge. Right. To to get past the word life insurance, to get past the rates of return and the arbitrage and of interest rates. I mean, to get past all that. And if you get past all that, and I know there's a large element of faith and trust in the beginning. No question. My hat's off to you, right? I mean, we all experience the same thing, right? Um, and of course, the further out you go, the bigger the numbers get and the better it looks. But just in equipment financing, Flip back and forth between equipment financing illustration number one and illustration number five. That is the difference that can be made. And that is the difference in that one example of one business. And the guy was not even efficient. He was not even 70% efficient financing his banking. Could have paid way more PUA from year five and beyond. He was. He still was not financing the tree shear, which cost twice as much as the bulldozer, which cost twice as much as the truck. And then he couldn't pay any more premium that life paid up at age 65. Mm, I'm just saying. Short pay policy, huh? Huh? Short pay. <laughs> oh, he, and it's like, um, it's worth vetting this idea that you can become your own banker. The changes in the life insurance industry from 1980, when Nelson, you know, discovered the the banking function and the becoming your own banker idea and concept, and then printing the book 20 years later, it printed in 2000. Think of all the changes that happened between 1980 and 2000. There was at least two mortality table changes, CSO tables. And the uh, MEC rules came into existence during that time. And now since 2000 and 2022, there have been two more CSO table changes, how they construct price life insurance. And then the 7702, more government meddling <laughs> in life insurance that you can't, I can't, we, none of us could control any of that the whole time. From then till now, and from now on, banking is. <laughs> I mean, it's like, who cares what the 7702 did? It did what it did. Now it changes the parameters in which we can work with. Who cares? I can't stand the idea of some underwriter somewhere telling me what my life is worth. Yeah. What? Yeah. But they have to have some kind of formula to price life insurance and to be profitable. Okay. I still disagree with it. Anyway. But IBC is, you know, this is just a sales gimmick to sell life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk about emotion and passion. and It's like, it. you know, you do what you want. My encouragement is to learn. Look, see. Yeah. Tell me I'm wrong. I won't listen to you if you tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, don't misunderstand. I don't know everything. I have not arrived. I still learn. I can be... Uh, uh, corrected, you know, if you're of character and sincere and genuine. But if you're doing drive-by little innuendos and snippets and comments as a troll, I'm not really interested. 
Yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll close out as hour and 15 in, but I'll close out by saying that, um, I needed this today. <laughs> you know, I've had experience with uh, life insurance agents this past week that have been uh, less than optimal. And which, what a surprise! Average is the, in other words. Uh, so yeah. Well, don't throw a teaser out. So uh, and I don't want to get into the all the details, but I can speak generally about. Yeah, it. I mean, listen, I've had the same. I've had uh, engagement with a couple of life insurance agents and have. Well, and these are. What do you speak? People who want to become an agent to practice or, you know, to convey the idea of the infinite bank. Which puts process. you in the agent category, right? That if you like, oh, I want to get licensed, and hey, this is easy, I'll do it as some passive side cash flow generation. And yeah, yeah. So can I get a contract? And the experience has not been pleasant for Mr. Griggs. I think, yeah, it's been a learning process. You know, just speaking again, very generally, you know, we added, you added the ability, uh, the contractual ability to be able to offer advisors contracts and um i'll just speak for myself has been a total and complete failure <laughs> i'm sure that the, the few people that have contracted with me nothing bad against them at all i'm sure they're learning and all that it takes time it took me 18 months to really have meaningful production I, so it's you know it's, it's no dig but um it's a lot of time effort and energy that's you know you're paying for your education no quite your phd is going to be much cheaper yeah, just not to time, rub anything in. In time and money. <laughs> no um, question. And really, Frank, and I was sharing earlier with you and uh, Justin, the AV Ninja over there, that, um, you know, at the end of the day, clients come first. Yes. Period. Period. And so that's period. where. That's where period. period. Yeah. End of chapter. End of and, and a client is not just, oh, they engage, you create a case or a solution, and then they're on their own. No, there's a continuing relationship. And it's like, <clears throat> do you want, when you call your agent or advisor, and I know I'm asking questions, I already know the answer to. Do you want them to answer the phone 10 years from now, 20 years from now? You know, well, James, you're, you know, you just had, you keep having birthdays. I did and you did too, right? And I'm, hopefully God, by God's grace, I'll continue having birthdays. But my phone will be answered in 20, 25 years, God willing, and he is, and I'm able, and, I, and it, it appears, you know. So why am I saying that? Because these little commentators, these little haters, uh, and God bless them, I mean, they need to exist so you can see what is not right. Mm. You know, if we're promoting what we believe mm. is to be the truth and the light, it is okay to see what is not to the truth the and opposite. the lie. So you fulfill your your place. So, you know, God bless you. <laughs> but it, it, as I go through some of these comments, I will put money on whether they answer their phone next year, much less 10 years from now. Yeah, next month I'm just after delivery. I mean, <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. So a yeah. client is not, when clients come first, it's not just so they, you know, pay a premium. And then you're done. Yeah. So I, I've really come to the, uh, you know, it's a recession. Time for a hiring freeze. <laughs> uh, oh, so you're not engaging the new agents. Yeah. there's Not, not going to go off into the mentoring role of agents because it has been uh, such a learning curve and unpleasant for you, even though the people are genuinely good people or whatever. Yeah. And all I don't that. speak for you. Yeah. No, that that's all true. And I have certain dates in my head where I'll revisit this. But yeah, it's an there's an indefinite freeze on that. Um, it's just, I, I'd rather, I enjoy, I mean, I, and I was explaining earlier, like I find myself explaining to advisors that, you know, or to prospective advisors, let me say, 
for a truly high producing quality mentor agent to spend time training like that, that it doesn't pay one and the, the opportunity cost of that, of your, for example, in our relationship, like the opportunity cost of your time is like extremely high because you could be spending all sorts of time with clients, all sorts of time building courses, client only access, planning events. I mean, the list of things you could be doing to serve uh, your clients with that time, the value of that is just huge. And so like take what's in equipment finance and multiply it by like, I don't know, 5,000. I mean, or don't even put a number on it. Like it's a, it's essentially of indefinite value. And so to, to carve out some of that time for a mentee in a, and to do so in a long-term sustainable fashion, like for that to work, the, 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 the new agent has to have all sorts of initiative and be genuine and authentic and want to do it and would be willing to pay the price. And so many things have to go in and there's got, there's got to be loyalty. There's got to be the correct contractual arrangement. It's got to be long-term oriented. It's like, there's so much that has to go into getting that mix correctly, which is why, by the way, there aren't many advising agents who build successful agencies. And the ones that look successful from the outside, like in terms of how flashy they are, the number of advisors, it's like, yeah, go talk to some of their clients and see what that service is like, if any. Um, so it's just, there's just not much of it. And that's why. And, and so I, I, ha I find myself having this conversation with p prospective agents and it's like, and, and talking to God a little bit last night, it's like, <laughs> Ryan, dumb, dumb, you've been explaining why this is not economical. And yet you're doing it. So stop. <laughs> then you justify why you should or would do it. Right. Yeah. Against the explanation that I just gave. Exactly. <laughs> it's like when everything, all the, you know, the, the opportunity to do this show, to work with you for so long, all of that came from working with my clients. And that's that needs to be nurtured there's more to do like mike was talking about with the whole life insurance mechanic series it really like it sounds cliche but like it warms my heart that that was so effective and that it was helpful um there's more of that right yes. at the end of that series there's like a whole slide and a half or whatever it is of all the things we didn't cover right there's more of that i want to do one where like kind of what we talked about today where just starting from the, you know, what is financial strategy? What is capital? And here's how the banking system works. And here's what the advisory system in a conventional context tells you to do to plan for your future. Here's why that's wrong. And here's this, you know, so integrate it all together, you know, in a nice series. Like, why not do that instead of just uh, working with the one uh, agent who, prospective agent. Who may be full of great intentions, right? Yep. But may not have the full understanding of what is really required, um, and therefore not really willing to pay the price. Because I mean, it's often they enter into a situation where they don't understand the price that will be paid. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so no, it's like a I, no, I agree with you that, well, let me say this, the, the content, I mean, you know, the AV Ninja current, you know, Justin, and then when Andrew, you know, it's like we have, we have a, a list of content, client only, different series, a continuation of the modules that those modules that I put out are over 10 years old. Mm. They're still very relevant. Don't misunderstand me. 
Uh, but you can't look at the illustrations that we've used today and then and then use them today. The the you know the changes within the industry and um, there's a ton of work to do mm. and time is very limited. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think the ultimate solution is a combination of content. Content needs to be good content, valid, relevant content, not smoke and mirrors, salesy, click funnel, click baity stuff. And I'm, I'm a capitalist. I have no problem with you know profits, but the smoke and mirrors type stuff that no good solid content mm-hmm. and then being able to mentor a very select few that i mean because you know i and i'm older you know and we were all having birthdays like i said his birth your birthday's coming up in no time jake's coming up in no time andrew i mean justin's coming up in no time we're all aging my point um but if you look at and i've said it several times uh um, Leonard E. Reed, Nelson's mentor, right? And there's, I think, there's two, as my, to my knowledge, last time I looked, there were two versions of the same talk on video that Leonard E. Reed did. The only video that I'm aware that exists of Leonard E. Reed, right? And so there's a whole story. I mean, Nelson talks about Leonard many times in, in different formats, you know what I mean? Leonard was a prolific writer. He even mentioned Nelson in one of his books. I can't remember which mm. one it is. Neither could Nelson, um, but I have them. I've have all. I've ha- I have all the ones I have found. The books of Leonard E. Reed. My whole point here is that he mentored Nelson, but he also mentored he he mentored many men, many people. He also mentored Ron Paul, right? And so you think of the effect that Leonard E. Reed has had on your life, my life, your life. You know, because he mentored Nelson, because Nelson mentored me, because. You know, mm-hmm. um, so there is a value that I see, and it becomes clearer and clearer as I continue to have birthdays. That mentorship must or should take place, but then it gets into proper classification. You know, we have to properly classify the potential student, right? And not all students are equal. You know, but when the student is ready, that you know, I mean, the teacher appears. Yeah. So. There's more than just like life insurance agency building, you know, which I've avoided my whole career, which is different than mentoring on a very selective basis because of time constraints. Yeah. Um, So he's out, but I'm still in. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. He's out temporarily, you know, he's like. And that's really how it should be. And it's not to say that, like, in the past, client service has suffered. I mean, I just had a case with a substantial client, John, here in Texas, who forgot to pay a premium. What? And uh, so the policy lapsed. Whole life contract. Yeah, I haven't told you about this yet. Whole life contract was converted into extended term. Cash value is gone. Non-forfeiture option. The cash value was used to pay for the extended term. Yeah. And So done and over with. Back in February. Now, listen, young man, you get a notice as the agent, and so does he. Well, I found out about this, and uh, because of the relationships we have with people at the company, because of because it was an unintentional mistake, and because it was the client situation was explained properly to the company, they reversed it. Policy went back in force. Client paid up. Look, the company is never going to do anything that they – uh, will will break their covenants or contracts. 
you know, because life insurance is a, is a contract. So they're if if that happened, I mean, they I don't want to say that they made a special exception because you're Ryan Griggs or I'm James Nethery, but the mere fact that uh, presidents and CEOs of large corporations know your name and will pick up the phone when you call, there's some real capital there that doesn't get afforded just because you're appointed with the life insurance company. Yeah, or like to to know to ask or to know how to explain. And like, so today that policy is back in force and all that happened before the events of the past week or two. So, um, <laughs> you know, everything's still good. It's just that this is more of a reaffirmation. So service matters. Oh, yeah. So if we were to, to go back to what I said earlier, you know, let's go forward five years and, you know, you're out, you know, mining cryptocurrency because the life insurance business has been so good for you. Um, or your your mentees didn't pan out, you know? And yeah. so uh, what happened in a case like that when you don't answer your phone because you're out there crypto mining? Mm, and I'm just, I'm listen, I'm just, you know, using examples. Theoretical, hypothetical. <laughs> that oh. policy, my point here, that policy would still be uh, into a non-forfeiture option in extended term and you're not reversing it. Right. So that's what would happen, could happen. So don't be that guy. It matters who you work with. Okay, I'm hungry. I got to go have some. I am very hungry, actually. Uh, I'm not. You can't go. I've got a private lunch. I'm on a meal plan. Do you have a private? Lunch? I do. A good friend of mine, my daughter, and and her. Good oh friend. yes, you told me about this. Yeah, yeah. By invitation only. Going all the way out to. Uh, you're going in the wrong direction, anyway. Uh, if you're on a meal plan, this would blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thank you for listening. I had fun. Bye, y'all. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.